Welcome to So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you are trying to evaluate whether real estate is the right career for you, wondering whether you're doing the right things to launch into quick success, or looking for tips and tools you can use today to become a more productive agent, this is your podcast. Welcome to So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. This is Season 2, Episode 19. And if you listened last week, you know that we did not get nearly all the way through the questions, the burning questions that our audience members asked us. So we are doing a part two today of what we're calling Real Estate Unscripted. And I am here with my co-host, Erica Day. Hi. Thanks for being here, Erica. Of course. So Erica is recently back from her high school or college reunion? High school, 30 years. Wow. Yep. Wow. So she said you said it was really fun, right? It was amazing. Yeah. So Up cool. in New Jersey. Really funny to see people, you know, that you haven't seen in that many years. Yeah. Did anybody know that you were like a famous TikToker and that now you're a no. podcast co-host? Nobody? No, nobody knows. Really? I don't think so. They didn't say anything. Interesting. <laughs> I was like, were people like, can, I, can you sign my autograph? Yeah, right. Or anything like that? Right. Yeah. Oh, well. Not yet. Next time. Yeah. Forget five or 40. Be super famous. Yep. All right. So I think I'm ready for you to throw some more curveballs at me. I don't know what to expect. If you listened last week again, you know that Erica just like threw stuff my way and I attempted to toss it back. So let's see what we have today from our listeners. Yeah, you did an amazing job last week. So I have full confidence. All right. Here is your first question today. I don't think I want to use a real estate agent to buy a home. Don't they just try to get me to spend the most money they can so they can get a higher commission? (laughs) That's like where realtors get a bad name. I always say you must you must have been hurt by a real estate agent at some point in your life to have that attitude going. I'm sure there are some that that's the case. I'm sure that is true. I mean, certainly there are unethical people in every profession, and I think real estate it's it's amplified when somebody acts unethically. So we hear about it. Um, but to your question, does, don't they just try to make me spend more money? Not if they're working on your behalf. If you are with an agent who represents your interest, that agent should be trying to get you a fair price for the house that you want. Now, in a market like we're in right now, I don't know that there's such a thing as a fair price. I mean, I guess every price you pay is fair because it's all supply and demand. But if you are a buyer in most price ranges in most markets, At this moment in time, which is beginning of summer 2022, we are in an incredibly fast-paced market with competitive offers on almost every property. So if you have a good agent, the agent's going to tell you and counsel you um, about your options to make the strongest possible offer. And remember, price is not the only term by which an offer is evaluated. You have the settlement date, you have an earnest money deposit, you have contingencies, you have you know a rent back. You have your own qualifications as a buyer. So a good agent should be helping you understand the strength and weight of each of the terms of an offer you're about to make, and then to give you the pros and cons of the decisions that you might make in terms of an offer presentation so that you know how to make your best offer. And the decision should always be yours. When you're working with a good agent, remember, you should always feel like you are making your own decisions. What do I always say, Erica, when somebody says, well, my buyer says, what what should I do? You know, to ask me, what should I do? What's my answer? It's up to you. It's up to the buyer, right? It's not our decision. Mm -hmm. So we'll tell stories. We'll give examples. We'll put on our listing agent hat or our seller hat and help the person see the other side of the table. Right. But, you know, when all is said and done, it has to be 
a decision that the buyer is comfortable with. And I always say, you know, people lose houses in this market all the time. It's just the nature of the beast right now. The house that's meant to be yours will be yours. And you're going to look back at all those other houses and go, thank goodness we didn't end up with one of those houses because now we love the house that we're in. Yes. You know, I I remember when I first started in real estate and uh, the agent that I was working for used to ask me questions all the time. You know, what do you think we should do in this situation? How do you think we should handle it? Mm. And I would always say to him, you know, I just started in real estate and I don't even understand what all the levers are that we can pull. What are our options? I have no idea. Right. I like that analogy, the levers you can pull. The, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. now as you're talking, that's what I'm thinking about. You know, we're there because our experience can help you figure out what all the possibilities are. Right. We can adjust the EMD. We can adjust the price, the settlement date, all those things, yep. you know, that you don't even realize are right. the levers. Yes. Exactly. In the transaction. And most people so. do just think price. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the amount of commission is, again, paid by the seller. So remember that, even though the buyer is bringing the money for the commission. But a good agent typically doesn't even think about or calculate the commission. Like I always say, people are always like, oh, how much are you making on that? I'm like, I have no idea. I don't count my chickens. So I think it like jinxes things to even calculate the commission until I'm almost at the settlement table. So that's never something in my mind. And if you are working with an agent... Who gives you that funny feeling like they've got dollar signs in their eyes? Maybe that's not the best person to work with. You want to work with somebody who is purely working for your interests and helping you fulfill your goals. Just like any other service you buy. Yes. Right? If you want to feel comfortable yes. handing your money over because you're getting a good service in return yep. from somebody that you trust. So you got it. Same thing with us. Yep. Okay. My agent wants me to stage my home for the sale, but it's going to cost almost $5,000. Mm-hmm. That stuff doesn't even come with the house anyway. So isn't it just throwing that money away? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say no. And for those who work with me as sellers, you know that I stage every property that I list. And I actually pay for the staging because I think it is that important and that valuable. So whether it costs me $2,000 to stage it or $7,000 to stage it, I pay for it. Um, I have never, knock wood, had a house sit on a market for more than about 30 days that's been professionally staged. I am not a stager. I would caution you not to work with an agent who's like, oh, I'm a stager too. I also stage. That's like working with a surgeon who's like, oh, and I'm also an auto mechanic too. So bring your car in as well as you're, <laughs> while you're getting your surgery, right? No. Work with somebody who knows the, the lane they should be staying in and projects all their expertise into that particular focus and has really good affiliates to bring in to help with the staging. So a fabulous agent should have a staging company who is just as fabulous and is going to do what we call define the spaces. Staging is not meant to transform a house. And yep, you're right. The stuff doesn't stay. But what the stuff does do, think about when you walk through a model home. The reason that builders know it's important to stage a model home is that buyers have a really hard time perceiving use of space and size of space without something to anchor their perception. Absolutely. Right? Don't you find that? Like I always say, it's so funny how sometimes, this is not all buyers, but a lot. You're walking through a house. You're on the upper level. Clearly, there's a primary bedroom and there are bathrooms up there. You go into a secondary bedroom and they're like, what's this room? Because there's no furniture in it. And I'm like, well, it's a bedroom. There's a closet. (laughs) Like The bed would go there. But it is really funny how limited people's imaginations can be without a bed in the room telling them this is a bedroom. Mm -hmm. Just like if you put a desk in the bedroom, now it's an office to them, whether it's a bedroom or not. 
And if you use the wrong staging, and this is why it's so important to have a professional stager do this for you, the wrong scale of furniture, the wrong look or design, you can make it even worse. So you can make a room look smaller than it actually is, or you can confuse a buyer more about the use of space. Mm -hmm. So make sure you're working with a good staging company. I think the statistic is that a staged house sells on average for 16% more than an unstaged house. So take that $5,000, figure out what percentage that is of your price and tell me whether it's worth it. I'm Mm -hmm. guessing it probably is going to be. I'm thinking too, in a neighborhood like this one or lots of other neighborhoods where you have homes that have maybe dormers or certain little alcoves where you really would walk in if it was vacant and say, what do we put over there? Right. Or that's wasted space or something. Right. Yeah. So a good stager can really demonstrate the, the use of that space. And a stager helps a buyer envision themselves living in the house. Mm-hmm. Another reason it's so important, because when you've got items in your house that are personal to you, they're going to feel personal to the buyer as well. So you do need somebody who can help you depersonalize the space. And you should be detaching from it anyway if you're selling it so that the buyer can come in and imagine themselves living there. It's always going to feel up to date, too. Yeah. Stagers always going to be using the you know the latest true, true. The latest items so. yes okay um next okay so we're in the heat of summer here mm-hmm. in the dc area yes it's swampy outside swampy good word so does a swimming pool add or detract from a value from the value from of a house in a state that has four seasons okay good question <laughs> like if it's not swampy it could add value it is, I always say it is a double-edged sword and it does not add or subtract from the value. And the reason is this. You get people in as buyers from different parts of the country to an area like this one, which is kind of itinerant. So you'll get people in from tropical states who are like, oh, we have to have a pool. Everyone has a pool. And people from the Northeast who are like, oh, I do have a pool. You can't even use it most of the year. So it depends. Um you have families with little kids who see it as a hazard to have a pool. And they're like, the first thing we're going to do is fill that pool in. And then you get the opposite. People who are like, oh, we're going to picnic and barbecue and party by this pool, you know, all summer long. So it doesn't, it, it is a very subjective thing. It doesn't really add or subtract value, I would say. If anything, they'll remember that a pool is a maintenance item. So it's going to be perceived typically as a cost by a buyer, it needs an inspection, just like any other system in the house. And there are going to be things that have to be maintained, machinery, the heater, if it's a heated pool, the liner, the equipment that goes along with the pool has to be covered, has to be taken care of. We get a lot of leaves in the fall here. So things there are things to think about when you have a pool that are not things that you would need to think about if you just have a lot with grass in it. Is that your experience too, Erica? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's all over the place. It's yeah. very hard to predict how some if someone's going to want the pool or not. Right. And some do see it as, oh, God, that's a whole thing to take care of. Yeah. And it is a whole thing to yeah. take care of, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. But for some people, it's absolutely worth it, especially if they have yes. teenagers who really will spend the summer there. Yeah. Or I've had people yeah. who have moved in and they've got really competitive swimmers and they like really need to have a pool so uh-huh. the kids can swim you know, off season, sometimes longer than the neighborhood pool is open. That's another thing I'll say is if there is a community pool, the pool becomes less valuable. Sure. Yep. That makes sense. One of the coolest houses I've ever seen was in Potomac and they had, the guy actually had a pool in his basement. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Inside. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's a whole other can of worms though, because that is a a microbial growth issue if you're not careful. (laughs) True. True. But that is an all season pool. So, you know, that's cool. That's nice. All right. Um, Is it better 
to buy new construction so I don't have to deal with expensive repairs for many years. Wow, that's a that's a, a multi-pronged answer question there. So is it better to buy new construction? Well, it, it depends on what you want. So when a buyer comes to me and they're like, well, I'm looking at resales, but I'm also thinking new construction. I ask a lot of questions, time frame being the first one. Because what do we know about new construction? Takes forever. Takes forever. <laughs> and it is an it is an unpredictable time frame, right. especially in areas where we have a winter because foundations can't be dug when the ground is frozen. So and you know, weather can delay all kinds of construction. Right now, especially with all of these supply chain delays, we're seeing building can take much, much longer. And builders do a fabulous job of protecting themselves with their contracts. They've got sort of an open-ended we can finish your house whenever we want. If we don't finish it, you can walk away. That's totally fine. We're right. fine with that. And what are you doing in the meantime? Maybe you've sold your house. Maybe you've got movers that are scheduled. Maybe you had to move somewhere else while you're waiting for construction to uh, be completed. So you have to have flexibility if there is new construction. Now, the pros of, be- of benefits of new construction, you pick what you want, right? You pick your own flooring. You pick your lighting. You pick your uh, countertops. You pick your cabinet color. So you get what you want. Um, whether there's more maintenance over time, most builders will build in a five or 10 year warranty for some of the systems and items in the house and probably a one year warranty for other items. And then some aren't warranted at all. So you've got a little bit of time where the builder is probably going to come and fix some things, but things happen in new construction houses just the way they do in resales. And I almost think a resale home that has been standing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it hasn't gone anywhere, right? The foundation hasn't cracked. Not to say a new construction foundation would crack. We don't know though. We don't know what's going to happen with a new construction house. So if you've got a solid product that's been sitting for a while, it's there. It's probably going to stay there. The the new construction, we're not so sure about. So it really depends on Time frame, your desires. I've had plenty of buyers, though, who are so thrilled with the idea of getting something that they made all the choices for is theirs. Nobody has lived in before. They're like, we don't care. We'll take the time it takes. We'll live somewhere else if we need to. This is what we want. Right. What's, well, is that your experience with buyers, sense. too? Yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And even, you know, I've, I had a home built one time in Harpers Ferry, okay. West Virginia. And, yes. you know, even when you get to pick everything, you're always later saying, oh, why did I pick those countertops? Oh, really? I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, who really knows what they're doing, right? (laughs) And you can't, you know, even this is a a point too, is you still need a buyer's agent when you're going to buy new construction. You're not going right to the builder and letting them just upgrade you on everything. God forbid. And so many people don't realize that. Right, right. That they do. One, they don't realize that they have the right to have representation. And secondly, they don't realize how important it is. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with buyers in front of the builder's rep while they're making their selections. And I'm like, okay, what can you give us a deal on here? And afterwards, the buyers are like, thank you so much for asking that I wouldn't have known to ask. Because usually there's there's a margin somewhere that a builder can help with. And I'm like, well, is that the best you can do? That's the one place you can kind of like haggle with the builder a little bit. Mm-hmm. But buyers are like, they are almost feel like, oh, pick me, pick me. I don't know what it is. Like the mentality of new construction makes them feel like they have to prove themselves or something to the Ooh. builder. Whereas when I go in, I'm like, throw at me whatever incentives you got. Let's let's see it. Put it all up on the table. If you want us to write this contract today, right? What can you do for us? Right. As salespeople, we're always looking at it that way. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
And then making sure, too, that we do like, you know, an inspection before you go to settlement for new construction. People don't think you can do that. And the builder right. doesn't offer it. So you need to know that, that you've got the final walkthrough. The last one I went to, I was looking, you know, finding these little things that because they had their like their um, their last walkthrough punch list mm-hmm. that they could do before settlement. And I found all these little things that they were so I think focused on what the builder's rep was telling them about how you work the appliances and the tilted windows and all that stuff. They missed some things that they would have had to deal with afterwards. Mm. So the whole house was like speckled with blue tape when we left, but that's okay because the builder delivered a really beautiful product that was as flawless as it could be right. at settlement. Right. You're not always going to have that option too. Some people really want to be in a certain town and there just isn't new construction yes. there. So yeah, it's you know, some areas are better for that than others. Yep. Yep. All right. Okay. I've been looking for my first house with my agent, but he basically just opens the door and lets me look around without saying much. Other than liking or not liking the size and layout, what should I be asking him about or looking for in the house? Hmm. I'm glad that agent is not on my team. I mean, he wouldn't be because he wouldn't have been trained to do that. But that's an agent that we call basically just a key. If you're just going to open the house and stand there, you're not doing your job, Mr. Agent. So sorry, buyer, I feel bad for you that you're you're having to deal with that. Maybe he's just shy. I don't know. But um, <laughs> you should be asking lots of questions. So it is a good idea for the agent to let you walk in first, but should also be walking with you around the house, pointing out things that you might not see. So one of the things I always do, and it's so funny because buyers don't do this, is I look up, right? So I always look at the ceilings to see, do I see water stains or marks on the ceilings? That's always an indicator of a leak. Sometimes it's a roof. Sometimes it's from a bathroom or kitchen above. But that's one of the things I want to know, especially if I'm not getting an inspection. I want to know if there's a water issue in the house. You want to look at things like the ages of major systems. So that's another thing I always do is when I'm walking around, and of course my buyers are looking at the space in the basement, typically in the cool walkout or whatever, the wet bar that's down there, and I'm going into the utility room with my flashlight on my phone and looking at the serial number and seeing how old everything is, checking for evidence of rust and leaks and water backup from things. I want to know what I can about the condition the maintenance and the ages of those systems because buyers tend to pay attention to the pretty. I want to pay attention to the guts because that's what costs money is the expensive pieces. Um, While you're looking through, you definitely want to get a sense of what the house feels like, but you also want to look like under the, the cover a little bit and, you know, kick those tires. And if your agent's not walking around with you, maybe just ask him to maybe say, Hey, would you mind looking around with me and seeing if you see anything that I should be concerned about? Do a really good exterior inspection too. So you want to look at the way that the land is graded. Is it graded toward the house? If so, go downstairs. If there's a basement, look for potential water penetration. If it's graded away from the house, good, but make sure that the slope isn't too heavy. Look for things like trees that might be touching or endangering the house. Look for signs of lack of maintenance or decay, like wood rot or, you know, splits in foundation, um, things like that, window issues from the exterior that you might see. Again, if you're just looking inside the house, you're not going to see those things. The other thing I always say to my buyers these days, because it's so competitive and we might not get the chance for an inspection is if this is a house that you think you might write an offer on, we might not get to come back. So let's take your time right now. Do yourself a little mini inspection. I want you to flush every toilet, turn on every faucet, run every appliance, open as many windows as you can, try all the outlets and the switches, Mm -hmm. do as much as you can to ensure yourself, assure yourself that this house is in 
decent condition and that you feel comfortable going without an inspection if that's what you have to do. Right. How about you? What's your thought on that, Erica? Well, I my first thing is like I think another agent is probably in order because <laughs> I, if they're not looking to protect you in that situation, yeah. are they going forward, you know, going to be in your corner and yeah. being proactive about the things that you need? Because right. it really shouldn't be completely on you to figure out what to ask. Right. <laughs> that's know? true. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good um, point. This is something they do all day, every day. So yeah. they really should know how to direct you a little bit in that yeah. situation. Yeah, and, absolutely. And then if you are interested in the house, you should be asking for disclosures so that you can get a sense of the condition of the house and anything that might be hidden that you can't see that might be an issue with the house. Right. I knew nothing about disclosures when I bought my first house. I oh, didn't really? even know they existed. Oh, yeah. funny. Yeah. So you wrote the contract? And then you were like, oh. I don't even remember ever seeing them. I'm sure I did. <laughs> That's, oh, I'm sure I did. That's funny. But, you know, when you're really new to home buying, you really don't know what to ask. Right? Yeah, it's true. Um, if I submit an offer on a house, how long do I have to change my mind about buying it? If you submit an offer on a house, so I'm assuming it's not accepted yet, this offer? Is right. that what we're assuming here? Right. Okay. So if that is our assumption, if that's true, that you've submitted an offer and you have not had acceptance by the seller, and I believe this is true, every jurisdiction and every state has has different rules around once you're ratified or the contract is executed, but I believe every state is the same in that if you haven't had your offer accepted, you can withdraw your offer anytime. You want to make sure that you do that in writing always so that there's no confusion that your offer is still on the table. So what I always recommend is if you've submitted a written offer and you're like, you know what, I just decided this really isn't the house for me, you write withdrawn really big across page one and then initial it so that your agent can deliver that in writing to the listing agent. And there's no question that your offer is formally withdrawn. Okay. Simple and straightforward That's on that one. one. Yep. Yep. Should I buy a home in an HOA community? I hear terrible things about strict rules and liens on your house if you don't follow them. <laughs> so I'm a little biased on this. I'll tell you up front. And Erica and I are in the same boat on where we live because we live in the same neighborhood. But we are in an HOA community, which a lot of people misperceive is really, really overly rule-oriented and strict. Mm-hmm. Um It is a preference. I will tell you that whether you live in an HOA or not. And there are people who come to us, buyers who are really, really firm one way or the other. They want to be in an HOA or they don't. Mm -hmm. Those that don't have some kind of bad taste in their mouth about an HOA. Maybe they've lived in one before that hasn't been managed well, or maybe they did get a fine or who knows what. Um, or they just grew up without an HOA and they've never lived in an HOA. And so they think it's like a regime that's going to be breathing down their necks all the time. And they want their freedom to put their boat in their backyard or put, you know, a a village of garden gnomes in their front yard or whatever, whatever the case may be. Mm Um, or have, you know, like have wildlife. I mean, that's, I have had, I have had a, a buyer who had, uh, poultry, I think it was. And, you can't have chickens in the Catlins. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think so, at least. I could be wrong. Maybe the Go Green group is. I've never seen that. a chicken in I've the I've never Catlins, seen but... them, but I can't swear to it that you can't have them. Um, I don't think you can have a, coo- a chicken coop in your backyard, though. Yeah. Again, could be wrong. <laughs> Haven't read the HOA rules today. But here is my personal, I'm going to tell you my, my very personal take on this is, and I guess not just personal, but seeing through years of, of watching properties 
appreciate and depreciate in value in varying degrees in our area. Neighborhoods that have HOAs are typically a little bit more well-maintained, and they also have more amenities, which is typically attractive to a larger buyer pool. So I think if your thought is long-term investment, an HOA is not a bad idea. If your thought is personal enjoyment, go whichever way you want. If you want the, you know, the emu in your backyard, go to the non-HOA. If you want the pool that you can go swim in and the swim team, go to the HOA community. Are there rules? Yes, there are rules. You should definitely read the rules, make sure you're comfortable with them. There are reserves in place to take care of catastrophic losses or things that are um, large maintenance items in the community or improvements to the community or new amenities that are going to be added. So understand what you're getting with your HOA fee. Understand what you're getting into with the rules around the HOA. But here in Kentlands, where we live, there is this perception that it's like, you know, super, super strict regime kind of a thing. And if you want to paint your house a different color, they're going to tell you no. Untrue. You can paint your house a different color. There are some real wild colors in this community, actually, if you drive around. But you do have to stay within the architectural guidelines of the community. And if you make a visual visual change to your exterior, it has to be approved by your HOA. There's also a misperception that your neighbors have to approve the changes that you're making. They don't. They just have to acknowledge that you've told them that you're making the change. They do have the right to come to a meeting and object to your change if they want to. But again, as long as it's within the architectural guidelines and you're not breaking any major rules, they're going to approve your your improvement or your change. So, you know, the fact that you're in an HOA doesn't mean that you can't do what you want to do. It just means it needs to be in keeping with the general look and feel of the community. Mm -hmm. To your question about fees, fines, and liens, only if you really break the rules are you going to incur a lien on your property. Liens can be placed by the HOA. For example, if you have, I had a neighbor once who had a fence that was like falling apart for months and it takes a while to get a lien placed by an HOA. So they go through a whole process. In our case, there is a notice sent. There's a second notice sent. There's a third notice sent with an intent to file a lien if an improvement isn't made. And then a lien is placed on the property if the um, the repair isn't made. And in this case, it took the lien. It took like hitting this guy in his pocketbook for him to finally fix the eyesore fence. And it really was an eyesore. But again, they've got the interest of the whole community and my property values in mind, which is why I was perfectly fine with them enforcing the rule the way that they did. Right. And what are your thoughts? Well, an HOA is not an HOA is not an HOA, right? They're True. all completely different. There's yes. all, a whole range of costs. Sometimes it's $20 a month, you know, Very or $20 different. a year yeah. for an HOA. And they really don't do much. They don't enforce much. Right. They don't do much landscaping. You know, we happen to have a very active HOA mm-hmm. here in the community who provides a lot of yeah. value for what we pay, right? We have a lot of amenities here. We really get a lot for our HOA fees. We do. Not always the case. So when you find out there's an HOA, I think you have to find out a lot more details about it. You know, they have a really website. True. You can go on there, see what you get for whatever your monthly payment is and yeah. see if it's worth it to you. Because yeah. joining a community pool, if your community doesn't have one, might cost you just as much. That's as, really true. Uh, getting an HOA community. Yeah, so. good point. And I like the standards too. I, I prefer Me having, too. you know, yeah. Having the fences painted and yeah. the houses looking really nice. Yes, I'm a rule follower, so yeah, me it doesn't too. bother me at all. <laughs> me too. It doesn't bother. I, feel, I feel like we get a lot more than we pay for here. Yes. All I right, agree. I think we have time for one more question. One more question. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I have many expensive and irreplaceable items in my home, 
and I'm not comfortable with the risks of having an open house, but my realtor insists it's important to have one. Does any home sell without an open house? Well, yeah, lots of homes sell without open houses. And I think it it depends on a couple of things. So in our neighborhood, we sell houses from open houses all the time. One of the reasons being that we have a lot of buyers who come from right here in the neighborhood. And often the houses are kind of, um, they're non-ostentatious on the outside, but you walk in and you're like, Whoa. So the houses are, and they're all different. The same builder built, you know, three or four or five of the same model, but every option is different in every house. So for here, for me, I think it's really important to have an open house because we do have that experience with buyers who come in and we get people even like who are out walking their dog or riding their bikes. And they're like, oh, we're going to pop in and they buy the house. They fall in love and buy the house. Right. So you could be eliminating a portion of your buyer pool by virtue of not having an open house. To the point about your irreplaceable and valuable items, you're going to want to get those out of your house, whether you're having an open house or not. People are showing your house, and no matter how how observant your uh, agent is, how many cameras you have placed around the house, if a thief wants to steal something, they're going to steal something, no matter whether they're being observed or not. They don't care. Mm -hmm. So get your stuff out to protect yourself, not to scare you at all, but the idea is to sell your house, right? So take your stuff to your safe deposit box. Do they even have those anymore? I don't know. To your, your you know, mother's house, your kid's house, wherever you need to take it, take it out so that it isn't temptation for people to, to be, you know, locked into. Mm-hmm. I also think to the open house point, there are places it doesn't make a whole ton of sense. If you're in a situation where, I mean, I've had some houses on giant estates way out in the middle of nowhere. Most people aren't just like driving by. They're not going to come cruising on through. And most people looking for properties like that are going to come with an agent. So if you are really concerned about it, if you just don't like the idea of an open house, and I always say to my clients before we talk about open houses, what are your feelings on an open house? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're like, I don't want them. I don't like them. Convince me otherwise. And often I can. Mm -hmm. But if somebody's really dead set against it, I understand. I've had people who are semi-famous or famous or really private or just, you know, have things going on that they don't want people people coming through their houses who aren't accompanied by agents. I understand that we cater to our clients' needs. I will explain that we might miss a buyer or two who might have mm-hmm. come through the open house, but it's not going to kill the sale that we're not having it open. That said, I do think opens in general are a good idea to get the widest exposure for your right. property. Are you in agreement? Yeah. You know, we actually recently just started doing four open houses a week (laughs) on every property. And, um, you know, for that reason that a lot of people have different schedules, can't get there with their agent at certain times. So we just give them lots of opportunity Mm -hmm. to come through the house, you know, with or without their agent. So that's another thing. There's there's what I call kind of like lazy agent behavior happening a lot now where they'll be like, oh, just look online, look at the pictures or, you know, the person's like, well, I can't see enough. And the person's like, well, I don't want to bug my agent. Come on, your agents are working for you. Right. Or they go just, you know, it'll be open, go to the open house. So if we don't have an open house, it's possible we might miss a buyer who could have been our best buyer and our highest offer. So that's another argument for doing it, Mm -hmm. for sure. Good questions. Did we get through all of them today? Um, Not quite, but... Wow. All right, so we'll have a part three somewhere down the road here. Okay. Erica, thank you so much again. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We are so happy to have you here and grateful for you listening. 
Um, to check us out online, please go to our website, meredithfogel.com. Ask us more questions. Send them our way. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, so if you have more questions or things we haven't answered yet that are burning in your mind, send them on over. We'll try to answer. Thanks for listening. This has been So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. We'll see you next time. We are so grateful you joined us today on So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you're still not sure real estate is the right career for you, tune in to our next episodes. If you're more sure than ever, tune in to future episodes for more tips, tools, and insider secrets that will help you launch into productive action and achieve quick success. Just a reminder that we love reviews. Please let us know what you like best about this podcast, what we could do better, ask us questions, or send us show ideas. Check out our show notes page for our contact info or visit our website, therealestaterainmakers.com for access to the tools, tips, systems, and other great resources we mentioned on the show. I'm Meredith Vogel. And I'm Valerie Harnell. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.